Five Casino. High Five Casino is the top social casino where the action and real prizes never stop. With all of the hottest games right from Vegas and winnings that go straight to your bank account, get ready for fun spins and big wins. Enjoy free daily rewards and come back to get free coins every four hours. Not just once a day like the others. Visit h5c.fun. That's h, the number five, c dot f-u-n. And have your high five moment today. High five casino. High five casino is a social casino only. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. Visit website for details. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we've got a lot to get into on tonight's episode. But first, we're joined by a special guest. He is a right-handed pitcher in the Orioles minor league system. And this past offseason, he was added to the 40-man roster. He is currently pitching for the Norfolk Tides. He is Noah Denoyer. Noah, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, we're glad to have you here. And things right now are going pretty well for you on the mound. The tides are off to a good start. So how would you assess the season at this point? Um, it's pretty good. We get a lot of talent here. Um, it's just fun to win as always. And, um, you know, our bats have been really good. Pitching has been really good. It's been fun to be around. Your your baseball story so far is kind of this perfect example of why I love following the minor leagues as closely as I do. Going from this Juco pitcher who you don't hear your name called through 40 rounds of an MLB draft, the last 40-round draft actually that baseball has. Now you're on the Orioles 40-man roster. But going back to 2019, when you signed that free agent deal with the Orioles, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you had a commitment to Oklahoma State. So what yeah. – what kind of convinced you to sign with the Orioles versus maybe going through with that commitment to Oklahoma State and improving your draft stock? Um, well, honestly, uh, I didn't think I would be drafted uh, at all that year. I was uh, coming back from Tommy John, just kind of sort of rehabbing, trying to feel good. I was really just focused on getting a good D1 scholarship. And uh, I was lucky enough to get uh, the school to offer me that I wanted to, and it was Oklahoma State. And um, – didn't know I was even eligible to sign free agent too. So when I started talking to the Orioles, um, I talked to Ryan Carlson and uh, he, uh, he found out as well because he was just kind of looking to, you know, maybe get me in, in next year's draft in the 2020 draft. And uh, 
he found out that I was 21 and able to sign free agent. And uh, he told me that he was interested in signing me and everything happened really quick. And it was, it was a crazy experience for sure. I, uh, it was an easy decision because the Orioles offered to also provide like my schooling, the rest of my schooling. So, I mean, get in as early as I can with a great, you know, organization like the Orioles. It's amazing. You had had you were really good at the two A ball levels at Delmarva and Aberdeen in twenty twenty one. But then last year and what was a big year for you, you really kicked it into another gear. And I think by the time the season ended, it was clear to everyone that you were a deserving choice for the forty man roster spot and somebody the Orioles absolutely should protect from the Rule Five draft. It, looking back at last year, what factors do you think allowed you to really take it to the next level? Um, I think just being able to consistently get a first pitch strike in with uh, more than just one or two pitches. Uh, I think it's important for everybody to be able to throw all their pitches for first pitch strikes. And then, you know, obviously uh, getting outs early in the early in the counts is uh, very good as well. So uh, I think for me, the kind of the learning curve was is that double hitters are a lot better <laughs> And uh, they will hurt you if you fall behind the count. So you just kind of have to learn quick and adjust and then figure out how your stuff plays at that level. So we had a, actually had a question from one of our Patreon members, uh, Cannon. He wanted to know uh, which pitch of yours do you think has improved the most since you've been in the organization? Um, honestly, probably my curveball. I've always had a good curveball, but um, just kind of the way – we've developed it over the years. It's become my best weapon and uh, it's just my most consistent as well. So uh, it's, I, I would say my curveball. Yeah. You've been pretty successful in both the starting role and this relief role. I think most of your appearances have come out of the bullpen though. I think first of all, what exactly, what role, like what name do we give your role exactly? Like long man spot starter, like, what is, the, what is the name you have for it? And ultimately, like, where do you find yourself feeling most comfortable at? Um, honestly, I, I feel most comfortable really doing anything, just getting out there and competing. Like, I don't think it's, it's too different once you get into the game. Um, I kind of try to treat every situation the same as um, I'm just trying to get out, uh, trying to stay in there for as long as possible, give my team a chance and, uh, I don't know. I've, I've heard the hybrid role a lot. So just whatever I can do, um, I'm a hybrid pitcher. So <laughs> Nationally, the Orioles have been getting a lot of love for their work with hitters and the hitter development program that preaches swing decisions. But the pitching side has really come a long way in the last few years under this regime. Having worked, been in the Orioles system for the last few years, what are the things that they really – try to get the pitchers to buy into? What, are the, what is the data or maybe the pitch selection decisions that you have to make on the mound that they really try to instill in you? Um, yeah, I think everything when you first get into the organization is kind of figuring out like what pitches are your, are your go-tos, kind of what got you there. And then um, you kind of work from there, kind of uh, hear some uh, suggestions and then work on things that can complement those pitches you already have. And uh, once you kind of get like a better feel for that, um, it's just all about like competing. Like 
my biggest thing was like just obviously like throw strikes, like attack the hitters. So like I think uh, it makes it a lot easier when you can just get ahead in the count and be able to use your weapons. So you've been able to work with a lot of I think really smart pitching coaches. Guys are getting more recognition. Uh, as well, but how much of your success can be attributed to the advice you received from a noted pitching coach, uh, Ernie Johnson, last year? Um, <laughs> that, that, that video. Yeah, I mean, it, it's basic, you know, uh, just control the game, throw strikes, you know, like <laughs> that's all you really need to, uh, <laughs> all you really need to um, think about when you're up there is just compete, you know. <laughs> no, I, I thought that clip was funny that uh, when you shared that last year, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. But um, yeah, you're working with uh, on a more serious note, you're working with Justin Ramsey now. I know John Mioli at the Baltimore Banner did a, a really good piece highlighting Ramsey and the work he's done uh, in the organization. Uh, what stands out to you about him that what how was he able to connect so well with you guys and get the most out of you guys on a, on a nightly basis? Um. I feel like he, he's just able to work with, uh, you know, whatever pitcher we have out there. He's very good at being able to learn kind of what your um, routine is uh, on and off the mound. Uh, he learns pretty quickly. And uh, I think being able to kind of recognize what you do a lot and uh, kind of what you throw kind of – what the routine is, uh, he can recognize very quickly what is changing. So he can kind of shift into like, hey, you're pulling your front side early, like stay on this pitch on this one, you know, because he, uh, he's very good at uh, recognizing what we do as pitchers and giving us the freedom, but also um, reminding us of the things that got us here. So. So there's going to be a pretty big change uh, taking place in AAA right now because beginning this week, the automated ball strike system is going to be in place in the International League. Um, from Tuesday to Thursday games, the ball strike system is going to call balls and strikes. But then Friday through Sunday, it's going to go back to the umpires, but pitchers, catchers, and coaches will now have the ability to challenge uh, the calls made by the umpires. So... First off, how do you feel about this um, and how much experience have you had to this point with automated ball strike systems, if any? And secondly, do you think it's going to affect the way that you attack the zone or is it something you just have to wait and see? Um, I, I saw it a little bit last year in the fall league. Um, I didn't get to personally pitch with it, but I mean, whatever it can be to just be consistent, um, strike zone like pitchers always adjust to it um so i i think it's not a bad thing and uh, i i think whatever it can do to kind of keep the game as true and pure as possible is good so i mean it's just balls and strikes at the end of the day so <laughs> we've heard so much about the impact guys like you know jordan lyles last year and kyle gibson this year have had on the younger pitchers in the organization but Another guy, Dean Kramer, who's you know, himself trying to find his way through this organization, seems to be someone that a lot of guys lean on as well, yourself included. I know you guys have a close relationship. What kind of things have you learned from Dean that have stuck with you as you continue to uh, move your path forward? 
Um, I learned a lot from Dean, uh, specifically in the 2020, like, COVID year when we were kind of all at home for a little bit. I was uh, playing catch with him every day. And what I noticed from him, uh, especially, like, me being very new to the system, um, he just had a consistent routine. Um, and then he just stuck to it every day. Um, he worked on specific things each day. And I know at the time he was working on a few things and just seeing it translate now and being how good of a pitcher he is, is it, it's inspirational. I mean, it's a, uh, it's cool seeing someone come from the same junior college as you have success in the big league. So it's cool. I have to imagine you were at a bit of a disadvantage with the COVID year, because that would have been your first full year in pro ball. But do you think that your time with Dean Kramer allowed you to maybe make that adjustment to pro ball faster once you finally did start to pitch in live games? Yeah, I think it definitely did. Um, being around someone who had like a lot of success throughout the minor leagues um, was just great to be around because you can learn so much from someone like that. Um, he kind of had the same type of uh, – arsenal that I did when I first got into pro ball where he was like a fastball curveball guy and um he was kind of the first one to teach me like hey like developing like pitches like a cutter like a change up something to get you uh get hitters off of your uh, your two best pitches are uh are really important and then uh just things like a routine like that it helped out a lot too uh, turn the focus back to this year. The Tides currently sit at 16-6, and six, and what stands out, I think, to anyone who's been following them this year is that top to bottom, uh, you all have a very good roster in Norfolk and pretty much are strong in every facet of the game. What is it like to go into that clubhouse night in and night out and be around players with that much talent and know that you've got – a very strong chance to win every single game. I mean, it, it just makes it a great atmosphere. Um, when everybody's winning, everybody's happy. And uh, I think everyone's pretty uh, pretty good at getting along with each other. Um, and everyone's pulling for each other. Like, it, it's just like how you see at the big league level, like the pitchers are rooting for the other pitchers. Like, no one wants to see anyone do bad. Everyone wants to see everyone succeed. We all want a chance to uh, – get to the big leagues. And I think we all understand that and we're all rooting for each other. So you got Cole Irvin back down there in Norfolk. Now he's had some success with Oakland uh, before coming over to the Orioles organization. Have you been able to pick his brain at all? Is he someone that you're, you're able to kind of rely on his MLB experience a little bit now? And is he bringing any celebrations down to Norfolk's clubhouse? You know, the had the Homer hose in the major leagues. Is he bringing any of that down to Norfolk? Um, nothing yet. He's still pretty new. So we got to whip him in the shape, but, uh, <laughs> no, he's, a he's, he's a nice dude. I got to, uh, actually talk to him a little bit more than I did in spring training. Um, he's a really nice dude. He's actually, uh, from the Charlotte area or he's living here now. Um, so we were just talking about like how it is in this area and stuff like that, like cool things to do. So, yeah. Um, I did see, Oops. Um, last question for me is I, I saw this video on YouTube. I believe it was a little league Noah Denoyer hitting a nuke uh, back in the day. So 
put yourself back in that position, back in the batter's box, uh, looking around of all the teammates you've had throughout your time in the Orioles organization, which of your teammates is the last guy you want to see out there on that mound if you were to step back in the box? Joey Ortiz. <laughs> he's he's such an electric player. Um, I, I tell people all the time, he's my favorite player. I love watching nice. him play. He's so electric out there. Nice. Is, is there a, a – what about the guys in, in Norfolk right now? So many guys like Drew Rom also on the 40-man roster. I talked about Cole Irvin there on, with Major League Experience. Are there guys on that Norfolk roster, the pitchers that you look at and say, like, that guy's going to be in the big leagues. There's no doubt about it. Um, are you talking about people who haven't been in the big leagues? Yeah. Yeah, um, some guys, maybe some, like, underrated guys, some of your teammates that, you know, don't get a lot of that national love, but you watch them work on a, a night-in and night-out basis and say, like, they, they've got the stuff. They've got the goods. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we got a, we got a couple of them. I mean, Ryan Watson's really good. Obviously Drew Rom's really good. Um, all their pitch mixes are just disgusting. I mean, <laughs> they, uh, they're able to control their fastball so well and play everything off of it. It's just, it's fun to watch. They, uh, they cruise through innings pretty easily. So. No, I'll wrap up with this, which is we've got a long way to go this season. What are your goals for the rest of the year? Um, I just want to work on landing my pitches for a first pitch strike, um, try and be as unpredictable as possible, and then try and fit into whatever role that I can to uh, try and help the Orioles out. So, Well, best of luck to you the rest of the way. We uh, certainly enjoy following you and hoping to see you in Baltimore later this year. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we've got some big stories to get into on tonight's episode, including the major league debut of Joey Ortiz and how he could see action in the majors for the rest of the season. We'll also talk about the infield situation as a whole. A lot of the Orioles infielders are off to productive starts this season, but with a lot of depth at AAA and a lot of prospects banging on the door of the major leagues, it seems like there's a lot of interesting scenarios that could play out. We're also going to talk about one of the top pitching prospects in the farm system on the heels of one of his best outings of the season. And we're going to get into, of course, our last segment where we shout out players outside of our top 30 for something that they've done recently. But first, as we usually do at the top of our new our episodes, we want to shout out new members of our Patreon community. And with that, I'll turn it over to Bob. Yeah, we got four new patrons. Um, first up, Slanger, who has made his presence known in a good way on the WhatsApp group. Love when people come right in and just start uh, going back and forth right away in the chat. It's always a fun time. Kevin O'Brien, Anthony DeQuano, and Nick Bestman. Thanks, thanks guys, for your support. Uh, Kevin and Slanger are full-year signups, so that is very cool. Thank you. We should add we do actually have an, an exciting perk coming out for our patrons tonight, which is the release of our top 50 prospect list for the month of May. So after we finish this episode, we're going to hop right into that. And if you're a member of our Patreon community, you'll be able to listen to that episode. If you're not yet, sign up in like the next 45 minutes or so, and you'll be able to have access to that episode. We're getting in now to the debut of Joey Ortiz, who was promoted to the major leagues last week and got into three games during the Orioles series in Detroit. Over that span, he went two for eight with four RBIs, three of which came in one game while appearing at second base. On Sunday, the Orioles sent Ortiz back down to Norfolk, 
while bringing back Kyle Stowers from AAA. Basically, the Orioles brought up Ortiz at, on the front end of a four-game series where they're going to be facing back-to-back-to-back lefties. Put him at second base while Jorge Mateo, who's off to a phenomenal start this year, played shortstop alongside him. And I'll start with Nick here. Small sample size of just three games, but based on what you saw, what were your impressions of Ortiz in the major leagues? He looks like a major leaguer. Uh, he fit right in. Um, it was it was really cool to see him just in that Orioles uniform because he's a guy that you know we've been pretty high on, and I think in like an hour when we record our next episode for patrons, uh, we'll get in more into that about just how high uh, we think of him. But um, yeah, I mean, he had the two run single there for his first major league hit off Joey Wentz. I mean, he put up an EV of one hundred eight point five miles per hour. It was uh, his second hit off Matthew Boyd. Like, I know it's the Tigers, and this isn't like a devastating pitching staff, but he got his feet wet in the major leagues. He played a good second base. I mean, didn't feel, do anything crazy, show off that Joey Ortiz style that he has at shortstop down the minor leagues. Didn't really get an opportunity to do that, but I think he held his own. Just you know, only struck out one time against Eduardo Rodriguez, which, you know, that's that's okay. Um, yeah, it was I, – I, Honestly, I kind of like this. I'm sure we'll get into this conversation a little bit deeper and expand on the infield, but I, I kind of like this. Get up, get your taste. You're only going up against lefties, so a little bit easier of an adjustment for you. And now you know what it's like. You've been in that clubhouse. You've been in the dugout. You've been on that field. You face major league pitching. Get down to Norfolk. You know He's not perfect yet. None of these guys are. You know exactly what you're going to work on, and you know, I'm sure it's going to drive him to work harder. Not that I'm sure he needs that. Extra motivation, but a little extra motivation never hurt anybody. And I have little doubts that Joey Ortiz will, in the long run, be an everyday major leaguer. But good first start. Yeah, I concur exactly. Uh, Orioles going with the drug dealer method of give him the first taste for free, (laughs) send him away, and then have him Jones in to get back to uh, get that lifetime uh, hit going. Um, Yeah, thought thought it was great. Um, Only struck out the one time. Even had like some good at bats where I saw one, he was over Oh, and two in the count laid off a couple of pitches just under the zone. And then ultimately I think that's the same at bat that he maybe hit that single hard hit single to right field. Uh, but he did end up not striking out in that at bat, uh, which he doesn't really do that often. So I think you got a pretty good approximation of the player that he is in just those eight at bats. Uh, you saw him make a couple diving attempts at second base, maybe, you know, not exactly as used to those angles as he is to shortstop, but those are tough plays no matter what. Turned a nice double play. Uh, he's got the power. You saw the exit velocity. He was right at the top of the exit velocity leaderboard on StatCast because he hits the ball hard, even harder than last year. And I think we'll see. You saw it with that single. It was like a huge hop, off one hop off the ground uh, into right field. He has a lot of power directly to the opposite field. I've seen him hit at least a couple extra base hits like uh, off the wall or over the wall, dead center or dead right field. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great, great start. Got to, got him, get those jitters out, get comfortable in the clubhouse, and I'm sure he'll be back. But, you know, like Buck Walter used to do at the bullpen, bring guys up and down as necessary, as needed, depending on matchups. Michael Elias is doing that with position players on the bench, which is kind of interesting. Um, Kyle Stowers up against righties, bring Joey Ortiz in against lefties. Uh, interesting uh, thing to have get, get going right now. Well, and it's something that I think is worth experimenting with, because especially in the case of Stowers, he really doesn't have anything left to prove at AAA. So 
if over the course of the season they're going to bring Stowers up for you know a week, ten days at a time, if the matchups suit them, I think that that's fine. And to Ortiz specifically, I agree with both of you. I think you kind of got a taste over these three games of what Joey Ortiz can do. He's a very, very good infielder, actually an elite infielder defensively, and he hits the ball hard. And what he, you know, Nick read off some of the exit velocities. He's been doing that night in and night out at Norfolk this season. And it's been impressive because it's hard to remember, but he missed a good bit of spring training and concussion protocol. So he didn't get a full spring. But then when he started out at Norfolk, he pretty much hit the ground running and has been one of their more complete hitters on top of being a great defensive shortstop every single night. And, you know, if I, I've been saying all year that if the Orioles infielders are productive, they're going to compete for a playoff spot. They're probably going to make the playoffs at that rate. So it's going to be hard for a guy like Ortiz or like Jordan, Jordan Westbrook or Connor Norby, who we're going to talk about in a little while, to break, break through with full-time opportunities in the major leagues but if you can get them up in situations where they can be successful and give them that taste of the majors and i think that's something that's worth pursuing yeah for sure and a lot of people maybe wonder why was it joey ortiz instead of jordan westberg who maybe gives you a little more pop uh and especially can play second base as well well i think we got our answer when ortiz was only up for three games uh he was already on the 40 man didn't have to clear space on the 40 man roster so Westberg unfortunately got gets hindered by that, but hey, maybe Ortiz just passed him as a prospect. Which, as I said on the Paul Valley show or the bat around uh, this weekend, it's not a knock on Westberg at all. That's just a high praise for Joey Ortiz. It, I mean, we're just seeing how all this depth now reach the major league level, and there they're not enough spots. And I'm sure people bring up Adam Frazier. People want to bring up Ryan McKenna. We've talked about why McKenna is going to be on that roster. You know, we. We can talk about Adam Frazier, I guess, here in a little bit. But, like, I don't have an issue with how the Orioles are going to go about this because I do think that for the next couple of months, at least, this is what we're going to see. Like, this team is winning. There's no reason to really change anything right now. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Nothing's really broke right now. This team is playing tremendously with Adley's gone kind of quiet the last little bit. Um, Not playing bad, just a little quiet. Gunner is still trying to find his footing. Santander has not been great. You know, it's some of the best players on this major league roster aren't performing at their best yet. So imagine what can happen when these guys really start to really start to click, which is another reason why, like, you know, why send down or get rid of one of these veterans and bring up a rookie who has no experience, right? Let, let them come in get their feet wet do this like what you did with Joey Ortiz and you know by the end of the year if an injury does happen or a trade does happen or you need that extra bat that extra jolt of energy late in the season well Joey Ortiz isn't you know he's he's got that major league experience he's already going to know what to expect when he gets out there in the field and so I, I think that's that's good you know if it'd be great if Westberg was on the 40-man roster and he could get some of that experience too and, and maybe he will later on in the year but you got it with Stowers you got it with Ortiz those are two Two guys who can play. Stowers can play all three outfield spots. You don't want him in center field, but he can play all, all three outfield spots. Ortiz can play a second, third, short. Two versatile guys who are, yeah, making their cases right now. Yeah, and I like that, you know, we saw Kyle Stowers. Obviously not the way you want to start the season where he sat on the bench for the first week, got four bats, and then sent down. Um, and he was kind of cold when he first started back in, in AAA, but then – 
He caught fire in a big way. They recognized that and brought him up, put him in the cleanup spot immediately, and he had four good at-bats, including a a single into left center field. So, yeah, and then Taron Vavra goes down to get some at-bats, five for seven game. You know, <laughs> these guys are clearly <laughs> mastered AAA. Even Ryan McKenna, you saw when he got sent down there the last couple of years, he would hit really well in AAA, and, you know, major leagues are hard. It's a good point to transition over now to what's going on in Norfolk. The Tides closed out the month of April 19-7. and seven. They had another big night offensively over the weekend, scoring 20 runs in a win over Charlotte. And as you would expect, it's some of these top infield prospects that have been contributing. While Ortiz was not there for that 20-1 to one win, he's been a big part of their offense this season. Jordan Westberg closes out the month of April to 927 OPS to go to 325 average and five homers. Connor Norby, 262 average with a 675 OPS. So a little bit slower start for him, but he's continuing to hit the ball hard and do a lot of the things that he does well, well on a nightly basis. So the infielders down there are making their case for majorly accent at some point. Westberg, it feels like it's banging down the door. But as you both pointed out, you don't have that 40-man roster spot. Westboro will not be Rule 5 eligible until after this season. So the Orioles haven't been forced to put Westboro on the 40-man roster yet, whereas Ortiz was Rule 5 eligible this past offseason. They had to make that decision right then and there to put him on the 40-man. Westboro, they technically don't have to do that until after the season is over. However, if he continues to produce the way that he has – it's going to be hard to just let him kind of cook down in A. So, Bob, I'll start with you on this one. What what do you think the scenario is, if there is one, for Westberg to get Major League time over the summer with the Orioles? Yeah, I, I do wonder if leaving him off of the 40-man kind of raises his trade value just that much more. And maybe that's why a small part of why it hasn't happened, just because then teams can trade for him and – not necessarily have to put him there right away, but I would imagine if a team's trained for him, he's probably going to be playing immediately in their major league team, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would take a Ramon Urias injury or trade, uh, although we did see that Ortiz was going to be the guy if Urias had to go in the concussion uh, IL, but I think if it's a longer-term injury, I think Westberg is a better correlation to Urias there, but... Yeah, um, if Mateo goes down, I think it's Ortiz that comes up just because he gives you that shortstop defense uh, between him and Gunner. But I, I think Urias or maybe even Adam Frazier could uh, get in hurt. I, I don't know because then it's Terran Vavra territory. So, yeah, I think it's going to take at least an injury to Urias. But it's it's a tough nut to crack right now. Just keep, keep balling, Westberg, and uh, eventually you'll get your shot. Yeah, this. I mean, you try to all the different scenarios, like you mentioned. Um, you know, what if it is Adam Frazier that gets moved? Then, well, Taron Vavra plays the outfield. Westberg has played it too, but I think Vavra has more experience out there. Westberg only has a couple of games. I don't know how comfortable the organization would feel putting Westberg out there. And like to be honest, like with Frazier, I mean, Adam Frazier got a lot of that signing received a lot of backlash because I think it was one of like the premier signings of this offseason. And if it was just a regular kind of depth signing later in the offseason and there were bigger splashes earlier on, I don't think anybody would be complaining that Adam Frazier is on the roster right now. He's good insurance, but now you're asking him to be kind of a, a prominent member of this roster. But I mean, 
the numbers don't look great right now, but he's walking more than ever. It's only still a 28 game sample size, but he's walking at a career high rate. He's not striking out again. Uh, he's got, he's only hitting 220, but he's got a 221 Babbitt. Like it, he's a lot of these numbers that he's putting up. He's already got three home runs, which is what he hit all of last year in 156 games. He hit five the year before that in 155 games, over 600 plate appearances. And he's that veteran. He's been in the major since 2016. It's hard to just get rid of Frazier and put a rookie in Westberg who has zero major league plate appearances on the roster right now. So I, I just think that, you know, kind of for that reason, like it's, it comes down to maybe, do you think if it's a longer term issue, do you think Westberg gives you more than Taron Vavra? Possibly. I would think so. I think he's a better hitting prospect and a better infielding prospect, but I don't know how the team views, you know, that outfield defense, that versatility. It's, there's so many puzzle pieces. And honestly, this is why I think, I think they're working the phones hard for a Westbrook trade. If I'm being honest, that's where I'm putting my money. I think I said this last weekend over the weekend that if I had to put money on it, I'd say Westbrook makes his MLB debut this year, but it'd probably not be with the Orioles. Yeah. I think I, I hate to agree, but I think I do. Um, yeah. Vivek makes a good point about Adam Frazier back to Adam Frazier is quality at bats. You know, the Orioles are, or at least they were a few days ago, tops in Major League Baseball as far as pitches per plate appearance, and I think Adam Frazier is a big part of that. Got a great eye at the plate. He doesn't strike out. He fouls a lot of balls off. You know, that's that's good for an offense. The more pitches you can see, the better you can time a pitcher and get a hang on their their off-speed stuff. And I think I saw it was uh, out-of-state Orioles on Twitter put up the, all the numbers uh, comparing Adam Frazier to Rugnet Odor. Uh, from last year. I'm not sure if it was before or after his home run in uh, Sunday's game, but they had almost identical like WRC plus OPS plus, but Frazier had much better defensive numbers and, and that gives a lot of value. And also I feel like Odor was uh, much less pitches per plate appearance. So, you know, Adam Frazier's the, the steroided up Rugnet Odor that we all wanted. He's doing it. Frazier's doing exactly what this team signed him to do play good defense and not strike out and be that veteran leader. And so that, yeah, that's what I just think with Westberg. And I like that point that Bob brought up about you don't bring him up, you know, you don't expose maybe some of those weaknesses. You keep him down there in triple a and say, look, this guy's got a 150 WRC plus he's hitting 300 with, you know, 17 home runs by the all-star break. Look how well he's playing. You know, maybe that does increase his trade value. And then you, you're able to, to package him up in some type of deal. I, it just makes so much sense that Westberg is the guy they move because again, how many this team wants to win. Everybody wants this team to win, but this team is clearly now making the moves. They're proving that winning is priority. Number one playoffs are the priority. How many rookies are you going to put up there? You're seeing Gunnar Henderson struggle. You're seeing Grayson Rodriguez go through his struggles, even though that last outing was phenomenal. You're seeing him go through those rookie struggles. Do you really want to add more to that plate or keep a guy like Frazier to be your eight hitter and you know, bounce around guy. It's tough. It does suck for Jordan Westbrook. I do feel for him. I feel for people who really love him, but it's, this is what's good. It's only going to get worse with all this talent coming up. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not forget, you know, he's settled in now. Vivek says uh, almost 450 at bats in AAA between this year and last year, he settled in and he's that 900 OPS guy now, but we know that every time he got promoted over the past few years, he struggled uh, right out of the gates at the new level before making adjustments. So 
you will see that at the major league level whenever he he does get that shot. Yeah, we've talked before with, with Westberg. There's sort of been the cyclical thing where he'll get promoted, and sometimes he'll get off to a really hot start over the first week or two, and then he'll get ice cold, and then he'll have like this four or five game stretch where he's not getting hits, but he's walking. And then that's the sign that he's getting out of the slump. Um, I know that a lot of Orioles fans would not be patient with that right now if that's what happened when he was brought up to the major leagues. And he went through that the first week. He was great. The next three weeks, he was bad. And then he had this week in the middle where he was walking a lot, but not really driving the ball. And then all of a sudden, it starts to work for him again. Uh, I'm not saying that I think that's exactly what would happen if Westberg went to the major leagues, but we have seen it happen before in his minor league career. And I agree with both of you. If this team is winning, it's going to be hard for him to get through because there's not really that opening. You have the situation that I think works at second base right now with Adam Frazier and Ramon Arias. You know, left field, Austin Hayes' defense leaves a lot to be desired, but you have Ryan McKenna there for that reason. And I don't think that Jordan Westbrook, I think it's good that they're trying him in left field, but I, he would have to be out there every night in Norfolk for an extended period of time, I think, to convince the Orioles front office that he's ready for that assignment at Camden Yards. And right now he's not getting that. So if he comes to the major leagues, his at-bats are going to have to come in the infield. And I just don't know where you're going to put him right now. So it is very possible that if we see a move at the deadline or close to the deadline for the Orioles to add to the major league roster, that Westbrook's going to be the guy that they dangle out there because much like Daryl Hernandez, who they already traded, you're trading from an area of strengths. You're trading a guy who is a legitimately good prospect but you have the depth to be able to afford to let him go if you have something, there's something else out there that you want. So Westberg fits into that group. Norby, who we'll talk about in a few minutes, fits into that group as well. Joey Ortiz does to an extent. So it's an interesting situation, but yeah, you do feel for Westberg because he has done everything he can to earn that promotion, but there just is not a spot for him right now. If this were this time last year, there'd be no question. But a lot has changed in the last 12 months. Jorge Mateo. Kobe Mayo will be in AAA by the time the trade deadline rolls around, and then you're even more crowded. And speaking of Kobe Mayo, I was looking at this before we came on. Uh, Kobe Mayo is also, Kobe Mayo, Heston Kirschad, that 2020 draft class, they are going to be Rule 5 eligible this offseason. So Mayo is going to need that 40-man spot or be traded. Kirstad is going to need that 40-man spot. Doesn't Mayo get the extra year because he's a high school pick? Maybe. I think. Somebody correct me. Yeah, maybe so. Either way. Um, Vivid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you uh, – but, like, talking about things have changed in the last 12 months. Yeah, Jorge Mateo is one of the best players of baseball. I'm sitting over here waiting for, like – best ball resurrection drafts and thinking I'm going to draft Jorge Mateo in fantasy baseball uh, in like a month. So like, this is absurd, which is good. And I'm trying to think, I was trying to look at when, yeah, Mateo's not a free agent until 2026. Ramon Arias isn't a free agent until 2027. That's what else that makes all of this like so complicated and mind boggling to think about and why I'm glad I don't have to make the decision. I just get to sit back and we can talk about it after the moves are already made. But all these guys are under control for so long that it's like, if Mateo's still playing well, do you need to trade him? Like if Ramon Arias, if you like him and he's playing well, which he's playing decently this season, do you have to trade him right now? Which again, just makes me think those are proven guys who are doing it at the major league level, which again, just makes me think 
Westberg is more of, a, of an option. And maybe it could be Joey Ortiz that's traded and Westberg gets added to the 40-man. I mean, Westberg probably has more trade. I mean, Ortiz probably has more trade value. But, again, I'm glad I don't have to make these final decisions. That's all I know. Yeah, and as a guy who was like, trade Mateo, trade Mateo over the offseason, like, come on, let's make room for Ortiz. Let's make room for Westberg. I don't know if Mateo's value will ever be higher than uh, the three war that he was last year. I'm flat out wrong. I mean, I think this is legit mm-hmm. what he's done this year because the strikeout rate is very low compared to what he was. The walk rate is up, still about average, but for him that that is easily acceptable. And he's tapping into that power. He's changed his swing, his approach. It's, I, I think it's legit. So I might be like extend Mateo soon. So yeah, who saw that coming? I I can tell you who did not. Uh, Kyle Glazer did not. Um, every time I want to see a Jorge Mateo highlight, I want to go back. I'm not going to do it. If somebody else wants to do it, I'm not going to do it. though. Um, I want to go back and, and clip that from that episode on Kyle Glazer. We asked him about Mateo because I think he came on not too long after he came. He joined the organization and Kyle Glazer. I just remember him being like, he's nothing. You know, he's a nobody. Now look at him. He said his peak was the 26th man or something on the bad yeah. team, maybe. Yeah, and how something that, like that. And how that 26th man, something about the 26th man's not going to help you win games, but it can help you lose games. Something like Mateo's going to be that guy that if you need him to come up, he's just going to strike out. But anyway, the guy's worth one and a half F4 right now. We're 20 games into the season, so. Good on Jorge. And I do too. I'm I'm gladly eating every negative word I said about Jorge and Mateo. I'm I'm here for it. Keep shoving it down our throats, to be honest. Yeah, you all feel how I feel about Patrick Queen the second half of the Ravens season. <laughs> so looking at the rule five scenarios, per fan graphs, Kobe Mayo will be rule five eligible in the 2024-25 offseason. So that would be a year from this coming December. However, Nick is correct that you do have a stacked class of players who are going to be Rule 5 eligible for the first time this offseason. Heston Kerstad, Jordan Westberg, Hudson Haskin, Ryan Watson. <laughs> um, the list goes on, not to mention that there's probably some a reliever or two that was Rule 5 eligible last offseason that's going to make the case mm-hmm. to get protected with a 40-man spot this offseason. And we know that the Orioles are probably going to want to make sure there's room for one or two of those guys. Yeah, I, I even think not to keep going like too far off subject here. I also think Gene Pinto is Rule Five eligible, if I remember that, or maybe I got yep. that one wrong too. You but. got it, as it's Vivek says, Gene Pinto, he's getting protected. This man is he off to an amazing start? <laughs> wow, so many guys, so much talent in the system. Who would have thunk it? Not us, covering this team for the past three, four years. Talk about Connor Norby now for a minute. Norby did miss a little bit of time in April um, with an injury, and it's kind of been an up and down for him so far. But he still ends his first, you know, the first full month of AAA action with a 262 average, 675 OPS. Obviously, leaves a little bit of room for development, but there's something to build off of. And now, over the past two seasons at Norfolk, he's had 153 plate appearances with a 289 average and a 798 OPS. So. Right now, if you're looking at that group of infielders, Norby seems like he's probably the furthest away from the major leagues. But, Nick, I'll just start with you here. What have your impressions of him been so far in Norfolk? And 
if you have to look a little long range, what would be the scenario for him to get into the major leagues with the Orioles? Yeah, I mean, it's not the blazing start, but I know he had that little hand issue for a week or so there. You wonder how long that lingered. But I think his last couple of games, he's looked a lot better, uh, hitting the ball harder. He got a couple, I think he had two doubles the other day, although to be fair, I think the entire roster had two doubles in that 20 to 1 win over Charlotte. I mean, I, I don't see anything different with Connor Norby. My, you know, thoughts about him haven't changed from last year or coming into this season. He's playing very well, but like you said, he's so far away. The Orioles don't have to make a move with him for, you know, another year, almost two years until after next season. So he can just kind of sit in AAA all year and you're not forced to make any decisions with him. And he does, you know, he's strikeouts are up a little bit. Walks are down a lot this year for him so far, just a month into the season, but He's got plenty of time to just kind of sit and cook down there. You know, he's playing left field. Like like he said, when he came on the show, he went to the coaching staff and said, I want to play left field, um, which is you know pretty awesome to hear. And he's playing a lot of left field. So, you know, it's, it's wait and see with him. But I, I think it's, yeah, it, the Joey Ortiz and Jordan Westberg conversation is going to get a lot more attention and is a lot more stressful to think about because, Westbrook's playing so well and he's been in AAA for so long. Ortiz on the 40 man and Connor Norby's he's got time. He's got a long time before you have to really make a decision with him. You don't have to trade him. You don't have to move him up. He can just sit and cook right now. Yeah. He's pressing. I think he came into the season with a lot of expectations on himself based off of the amazing season he had last year. And we know that player's still in there. I think he just needs to relax, settle in. And I think as the season goes on that that'll happen. Um, yeah, like you said, I don't know if he's going to make his Major League debut this year, but he definitely doesn't need to. I mean, he's still pretty darn young, still all the talent in the world. He can let the things kind of fall in place ahead of him, and then, you know, next year he can really make his move to try to break through. Just get that AAA experience, just refine the skills and find that confidence again. And, and yeah, I think you let uh, Ortiz and Westberg take the uh, spotlight for now, and he just like last year, he what this time last year he wasn't like Connor Norby yet. It was not until maybe even he got promoted to Bowie. I don't even know if people thought, well, Norby got promoted to Bowie. He was only doing seven whatever OPS in Aberdeen, and then boom, he just kind of was like a, a snowball rolling downhill as he got better and better as the season goes on. And I think you could easily see that again this year. So, yeah, comfortable with where Norby's at. I think he'll be fine for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. It was about this time last year or really about, you know, early in the season last year where we were, we were kind of talking about Norby as almost a poster child for that, you know, hitters have bad luck at Aberdeen thing. Don't believe the baseline stats. And he has clearly come a, a long way in a year. And I think he can do that, you know, just, um, you know, a few weeks. And this is what you were looking at early in the season. You have a bad five game stretch. It's going to show in stat line a lot more than it will later in the year. So I think he's going to be fine, but I agree with both of you that he's probably further away at this point, and he's got time. So not anything really to worry about, I think, for him or the Orioles right now. So we'll just talk for a minute about Norfolk as a whole because, as I mentioned, they end the month 19-7, and just putting up big offensive totals night in and night out. The pitching staff has been pretty good for them as well. Um, So, Bob, I'll start with you here. You see them sustaining us uh, for the next few months. Absolutely. Um, I don't think there's a huge rush to get, like we've been talking about Ortiz Westberg, like, yeah, they might come up for flashes or, you know, maybe one of them might come up if there's an injury, but 
I mean, the depth's going to pretty much be there all season long. And uh, Hudson Haskins even been out the past several weeks. So he's going to be coming back. Kerstad's probably not long for Billy. He'll probably be the first baseman for uh, Norfolk pretty soon. And Kobe Mayo right behind him. Cesar Prieto. So, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of pitching at double A that uh, could easily come up if there's room for them. I think that's the biggest thing, keeping them down, at least for now. So, yeah, I I think Norfolk might end up being, like, uh, one of the best teams in minor league history, potentially. Uh, that might be overstating it a little bit, but I think they'll be, like, one of the best for sure all year long, at least in AAA. The talent is pretty deep and pretty good. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, looking at the pitching, I, guys like uh, Ryan Watson's pitched well, but we know he's got another gear. Uh, and he's just settling into AAA. This is his first extensive look there. Like I said, it's been walks have kind of haunted him a little bit, but he's had a, a decent season so far. So he's he's got another level there. And I think there's some relievers slash starters like Noah DeNoyer. I mean, he's flashed a little bit, but I don't think he's really had an opportunity yet to get it going. He's gotten some, you know, DL Hall was to start the other day, and then he's thrown into to the start. So just kind of some schedule things there, maybe with Denoyer. There's some other bullpen arms too, like these Edward Bizardo and Darwinson Hernandez. These guys are pitching so well, and I, I think they're going to continue to get even better. Guys with pro experience that the Orioles can rely on. And yeah, I mean, you, you look at a guy like right, Heston Kershad comes up to AAA, let's say, in, in a couple of weeks, if all goes right. You still have Lewin Diaz sitting here in AAA, hitting 297 with a 404 on base percentage and at 134 WRC plus, like not striking out a lot, walking a ton, hitting home runs, doing what he does, playing a good first base defense. What do you do with Lewin Diaz? Like I know he's not a prospect; he's not going to be a guy that's going to stick around for 10 years in this organization. But I, I mean, there's this Norfolk roster is going to have the same questions that you got at the major league roster. Um, and yeah, like you said, Das Cameron's even starting to come around and hit a little bit and. When Haskin comes back, we saw how well he was performing before that injury. So, yeah, this is good mix of veteran depth, guys with major league experience, and the top rookies are top prospects are performing. So, this is a true in terms of Norfolk Tides standards. This is a historic season for the Norfolk Tides. Um, so, kudos to them. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe when Kerset comes up, do you kick Ryan O'Hearn to the curb? And uh, but he's been playing well too. And bring Diaz up to the O's or what happens when O'Hearn has to go back down. Yeah, it's like, is this going to, we need to get this level of backup talent down to Bowie and Aberdeen, I guess, right now to get their, their records up. But yeah, just talking about the Norfolk bullpen, it's pretty insane. Nick Vespi, Joey Crable, Logan Gillespie, Edward Bizardo, Darwinson Hernandez, who you talked about, Hernandez. Only four walks over eight and a third for him. That's pretty good. 14 strikeouts. Phoenix Sanders. Um, sounds made up, but no, he's got a 1.29 ERA over seven innings with nine strikeouts. Chris Valmont's pitching good. Zimmerman, uh, Watkins, we know. Cole Irvin's getting back healthy. Cano came up from down there, and he's never going to give up a hit the rest of his life. So, yeah, Norfolk, man. I wish I lived closer. I'm glad I'm sad that I moved away now. <laughs> Yeah, let's try to get there this summer because that is going to be a fun team to watch. Down in Bowie, uh, one of the Orioles' best pitching prospects is coming off one of the best starts he's had since he joined the organization last summer, and that's Cade Povich. On Saturday, Povich went five shutout innings against the Richmond Flying Squirrels, allowing just one hit while walking two and striking out ten. 
With that game included, Povitz has struck out 27 batters against nine balls over his first 17-inning season. He has a 3.71 ERA, but when you look at the numbers over at Fangraphs, he has a 1.3 FIP and a 2.39 XFIP. A couple of rough starts in there, in particular his first one of the season at Hartford, where he allowed two runs over three innings of work, kind of inflate some of those numbers. But otherwise, Povitz has been fairly solid this year. So, Nick, I'll start with you. Povitz coming into this season was someone who we knew had a lot of promise. ESPN was apparently a lot higher on him than other national outlets because they had him 54th on their top 100 list. We had him on the show, and he basically described in detail his repertoire of pitches, which is about five or six pitches deep at least. So what have your thoughts been on his start to the season? It's he's flashing. He's flashing what uh, kind of top 50 prospect status potential there. I mean, he's got 17 innings pitch this season and a 38% strikeout rate. So he's averaging more than 14 Ks per nine right now down there in double A. The 3.71 ERA isn't terrible on its own, but he's got a 1.53 FIP and a 2.93 or 2.39 XFIP. So, I mean, those numbers are even better. And I think that first start, kind of throw that one away. That's like an extended spring training start almost. Three innings, get your feet wet, new environment, you're on the road, the lights are on, You a little bit brighter lights. It's still like a minor league stadium, so they're not all the way bright. But you know, get your feet wet a little bit more there. And then he responded that second start of the season was five shutout innings with only two hits allowed. That third start, the, the control just wasn't there, just like the first start. But he still struck out seven guys in four innings. And then he responds with 10 strikeouts, five innings, one hit, two walks. So, I mean, and it's, I don't have, I didn't watch the Altoona start a lot. So, because I think the Altoona start was the only one where we had like consistent velo. So I don't know what he was doing there, but I saw a tweet and I didn't save it. So I don't remember who tweeted it out, but they said he was sitting like what, 92, 93, or maybe 93, 94, touching 95. If he's sitting like in, that velo and holding that, that's a good sign. Uh, so the velo increase is definitely coming. Um, if he can hold that velo deep into games and he can continue to limit those walks, you're going to see this top 100 prospect pitcher start to come out. I mean, you, I've already seen conversation by a couple of different people asking, like, is he a better prospect now than DL Hall? Like, do you put Kate Povich above DL Hall in your rankings? I mean, by the end of the year, that that could be a very legitimate question that we have. You just stole my thunder. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I was going to say, you know, look, D.L. Hall, his velo's down, and I saw the report that, you know, he didn't couldn't lift when he was dealing with the back issues. He expects that to creep up as the year goes on, and hopefully that's the case. But if, if D.L. Hall's going to be sitting 93, like the same velocity as Kate Povich, Povich has got better stuff. The off-speed stuff is ridiculous. That curveball is insane. Yeah, D.L. Hall's changeup has been great since they made those adjustments. He still has four-plus pitches. But Povich, man, I mean, the stuff is unquestionable. I feel like he could come up if you needed an emergency. If the playoffs started tomorrow and you needed a left-handed reliever, I think Povich could easily go into the Major League bullpen and just get guys out because his his stuff is silly. Obviously, he's got a hoon in the command. And you go step by step, but he's he's not going to be a Billy for long if he can get any kind of consistency with that command because the stuff is ridiculous. Completely agree. And that seeing the fastball velocity sit where it is right now, or at least what we're uh, hearing that it's sitting, 
is really an encouraging sign because the velo uptick is something that had started in the twin system. You always want to see, can a guy sustain that over a long season? He was able to do it last year and he's carried it over into this year. And I, you know, I watched the clips of his start against Richmond. I think it was a curveball. It was the angle from behind home plate. So it was hard to pick up some of the movements, but the curveball looked like it was really sharp in that outing. And the fastball just had that nice late movement in the zone that, you know, we see the Orioles covet those kind of pitchers. Povitz was flashing that the other day. And I think that if he can get through the first half of the season at double A, pitching the way he is right now, that's going to make the case for him to get to Norfolk and get that experience against, you know, tougher hitters who are going to lay off more pitches than double A hitters probably do. So that's going to be a challenge, but I think that he's capable of getting there this year. I just go back to when this organization acquired Kyle Bradish in that deal. And it was like, all right, all the written reports you find, it's like maybe a starter, but he's probably a reliever, right? Definitely the top arm in the deal, but he's a relief prospect only. Uh, Maybe a fringe starter. And the organization coming out and saying, no, I think it was Matt Blood who came out and said, no, we like we believe Kyle Bradish is on that tier with Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. Kyle Bradish, stuff-wise, I know he, he cruised in, in that last start. Just was that yesterday? or Yeah, yesterday start, Sunday start. I mean, he's cruising and then got kind of beat up there at the end. And it seems like he's trying to get to a lineup three times still seems to be an issue for Kyle Bradish there, but you see that potential where Bradish could be the number one starter on this team right now. Uh, he's got that stuff and him and Grayson Rodriguez are two major league pitchers. Like they are showing that they are full blown major league starters in this rotation. Now when Kate Povich came over, everyone was kind of like, yeah, he's a good prospect, good prospect, whatever, not a top 100 guy. And then the Orioles saying, no, we think he's like, what did Michael I say? Like we, he's a, a, a front of the rotation guy, like a two, three guy in the major leagues. I mean, I don't think that's, I get you take what an organization says about their prospects, the grain of salt, you know, they're trying to steam some guys up maybe for trades or whatever sometimes too, but like I'm, you're seeing it, you're seeing it with Povich and yeah, if he just has that command and control and limits the walks, he's going to take, he's going to take off this year in Bowie and it's, it's up and down, it's up and down right now, but when he finally puts it all together and it finally clicks for him, which maybe that last start was it, what's his name over at ESPN is going to look uh, like a pretty smart guy. Yeah, Kylie McDaniel. Kylie I McDaniel, mean, there it is. Um, yeah, I think one thing we've learned by now is that if the Orioles trade for a pitcher, it's because they believe they can unlock something in them because that's just what's happened time and time again. Uh, so, yeah, if the Orioles trade for a guy and it's like, huh? Why, why Yenier Cano? What the heck? Why is this 28-year-old Cuban relief prospect uh, who hasn't had success in the major league level included in a steal? Oh, now we know why. Because they figured we can improve his control and turn him into the next Felix Bautista. Um, I said they should be called Mount Vesuvius on uh, Twitter because you got the mountain in the volcano. Um, that's off topic. But, yeah, I think I love what the Orioles are doing as far as player development and not only player development, looking outside of the organization for guys that they think are perfect fits for their player development. So it's been cool to see. I think too, like hitting, I don't want to say it was easier because none of this is easy, but it was hitters first where they identified, these are the traits we want in all of our guys. And this is the program that we have in place that we think is going to work. And we're just going to preach this and we're going to bring guys in who fit that mold and it's going to combine. And we're going to see Adley Rutschman, Grace or Gunnar Henderson. You're seeing all these guys now. 
maybe the pitching is just taking a little bit longer, but I think now that they have, we clearly know the type of pitchers they like. We know what type of pitches guys need to have for you, for the Orioles to be attracted to them. They have their type. They have their same pitching regiment that the regiment that they have for hitters. Now they've got that in pitchers in place and they truly believe in it. And I think they're seeing success with it. And so now, yeah, when you get a guy like Yenier Cano and these other guys who maybe their numbers don't look that great, but the data does. The underlying data on a lot of their stuff is exactly what they want to see. And their pitching program, and these guys are just marrying very well right now, and they're starting to take off. So hopefully we see more guys pop. It's not just Kate Povich, though. But, yeah, it's it's a good start to the year for the pitchers down on the form. Metrically sexy. (laughs) That's what it is. It certainly has been a great month, both in the minors and the major leagues, with the Orioles playing well. And uh, we'll now get into our final segment where we shout out guys outside of our top 30 list for something they've done recently, whether that's a good game, a good week, or it's just something interesting in the stat line that we want to point out. And I'm going to start with Bob because he, one of his hitters was a big part of Norfolk's uh, offensive surge over the weekend against Charlotte. Yeah, I want to shout out a guy, uh, an outfielder, who is probably never going to get a chance with the Orioles. He's 26 years old. Uh, about to be 26 years old, excuse me, uh, Shane Fontana, by the way. Um, I just want to give him a shout out because he's a guy who, you know, even though he's like an org guy, he has made improvements. He had a really good year last year, putting up a 136 WRC plus in high A and an 149 WRC plus in double A. This year, he's got a little bit of time in double A and a little bit in triple A. And I will say that He's a 115 in double A, 127 in AAA. Had a really, really strong week, hitting a home run, a couple doubles, but or it was a triple, excuse me. Uh, the one thing I noticed, though, is that last year in double A, he struck out 28.6% of the time. In high A, 31.6% of the time. 28.6% in AAA as well, over 70 plate appearances. Right now, he's got like a... 15 or 16 percent strikeout rate between double a and triple a so still walking but not striking out as much as he used to and some good results so far i mean just shout out to to a guy who maybe he he won't be with the orioles but maybe he'll get a chance at some point down the line with another team and then for my pitcher i went with jensen elliott again an older guy 26 just turned 26 years old last month He's a six foot six. What do you know? A big, tall, right-handed pitcher in the Orioles bullpen. Bullpen guy, 26 years old in Double A, but he's got a zero ERA so far over seven and two thirds innings. He's a ground ball pitcher. Not going to strike a lot of guys out, but a different profile than we're used to seeing with these big, tall, right-handed pitchers uh, with the Orioles. So interesting to see if he can kind of move up to Triple A this year as a older relief prospect. Like I like Shane Fontana just feels like uh, this year's version of like Robert Newstrom. Um, Robert Newstrom walks so Shane Fontana could fly. Uh, <laughs> if anyone's going to be the next Mike Yaz, Mike Yastrzemski that gets away and mm. has a solid you know career with someone else, I could see it being Fontana. <laughs> Uh, I went a little lower in the system for my hitter. I went with Adam Crampton. I can't remember if we shouted him out before already this season. I feel like we have, but. He went three for 10 last week, had a double, two stolen bases, walked three times and struck out just once. Uh, I think it's hilarious that he was a ninth round pick at a Stanford last year. 
known for more the defense than the bat. And he was actually at the 2022 Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. So I think at this point, if you win the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year award, you just like buy a house in Baltimore because the Orioles are going to come calling for you. But Crampton's hitting okay. He's 255 average, but three of his 12 hits this season have been doubles. And he has more walks than strikeouts. He has eight walks to seven strikeouts this season. Like Jackson Holiday is not the only guy on that Delmarva roster putting up really impressive walk to strikeout numbers. Um, Crampton's one of them. He's got a 368 on base percentage right now, four for five in stolen base attempts. And even though he was the Pac 12 Defensive Player of the Year at shortstop, he has played the least amount of innings at shortstop this season. He's got time starts at first base, second base, third, short, and left field. So He's playing all over the field. Definitely not a guy who I think probably appears on our top 50 list anytime soon, but this is kind of why we do this segment, highlight a guy at Crampton doing good things right now. And then my pitcher is Dylan Hyde. Uh, This one's a little bit different because I do think that there is a path for Dylan Hyde. Reliever, there are a lot of relievers, uh, high A, double A level, that are going under the radar here with good starts to the season. Hyde's one of them, though. He is 2020 on draft pick out of Pittsburgh, Johnstown, for those who uh, may not remember, but struck out 66 guys last season across 41 innings, but had a monster walk rate. And I found an interview the other day that he did with Sam Jelinek, uh, formerly of the Delmar Shorebirds, where he talked about when he joined the organization, he seemed to really struggle with the pitch clock and moving into the bullpen role. And so it seems like now he's kind of adjusted to all of those things and he's got we know he has like massive, I found some of his MLB draft league data, which is where I think he made the name for himself, but massive extension numbers, high spin rate, that extremely hoppy fastball that the Orioles love. That's some crazy like IVB numbers in the draft league. He's got five scoreless innings this year, no walks to 11 strikeouts for a guy who walked an insane number of guys last year. He has yet to walk a guy this year. So uh, shout out to Dylan Hyde. Yeah, between him and Keegan Gillies, <laughs> They have 11 innings, two walks, 22 strikeouts. Nice mm-hmm. uh, nice back end of the bullpen for Aberdeen there. Good choices. I stuck entirely with Delmarva this week, and for my hitter, I'm going to shout out Douglas Hodo. Uh, in four games against Salem last week, he went three for 14 at the plate with two RBIs and four walks against two strikeouts. The walks have been a big theme of Hodo's season. as He has a walk rate of 28.9% right now through his first 45 plate appearances at Delmarva. The strikeouts are a little high at just above 26%, 26.7%. But Nick just talked about how Adam Crampton is one of Delmarva's hitters that's walking more than he strikes out. And Hodo is in that category as well. And he's also, to go along with that, has a 170 WRC+. plus. Again, early in the year, but good results from Hodo offensively so far. And on the pitching side, I'm going to shout out Bradley Bramer. Uh, he went four innings in game two of a doubleheader on Saturday against Salem, allowed just one run on six hits with two walks and four strikeouts. Bramer was drafted out of Indiana last year by the Orioles and is actually making his professional debut this season. He didn't pitch at all last summer for the Orioles. And so far through his first 16 innings at Delmarva, has struck out 16, walked six, and has a 2-8-1 ERA. So this could be a guy that has flown under the radar a little bit that becomes a real stalwart in the rotation down at low A and perhaps even high A later this year. I like watching. I'm excited for Delmarva to play somewhere with a really good camera angle because I'm excited to watch Bremer pitch because his numbers have definitely been standout this year. And someone 
They, they took Bramer and Resharp in last year's draft. And shout out to the Orioles for recruiting two Indiana University pitchers. Um, again, I don't even, I couldn't even told you that Indiana had a baseball team before this year. So shout out to them. Well, that does it for this week's episode. And don't forget, if you are a member of our Patreon community, be sure to hop in. In a few minutes, we'll have our top 50 countdown for the month of May. We also want to thank Noah DeNoyer, who joined us last week in a pre-recorded interview that appears at the top of this episode. Noah was kind enough to join us after the Tides played the Charlotte Knights in a day game. He's off to an excellent start this season, and we appreciated hearing from him. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds. Also, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. You can not only find NFL coverage of everything that has happened in the last week, whether that's Lamar Jackson signing an extension or the Ravens draft. We will also get plenty of Orioles coverage as well as other sports. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join discussion with fellow readers of the site, as well as contributors. And if you haven't already signed up for our Patreon community and join for as little as three hours a month, get access to our WhatsApp group. And then at the five and $10 levels, get access to exclusive content, such as our monthly top 50 updates, our daily coverage, and more. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spud, and you've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.